0: Welcome to episode three of Tech Talk Thursdays. My guests this week are Gene Weiner from Weiner International, who will be talking about the coronavirus and the impact on the supply chain. He'll be followed by Aubrey Thompson and Craig Lacks from Septillion, who will be talking to us about counterfeit avoidance, which they're working on with IPC, and their recent investment from Boeing Corporation. And finally, Chintan Centuria from CalcuQuote will be joining us to talk about the importance of a cloud-based RFQ system in real time. These are my guests. Let's get on with the show. So my first guest today is Gene Weiner, a former president of Nelco and a number of other companies. He's also a long-term time board member of WKK in Hong Kong and an IPC Hall of Famer among his many accolades. Welcome, Gene, nice to see you.
1: Good morning or good afternoon, if the case may be. Nice to see you, Trevor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So one of your many activities, Gene, is uh, your famous uh, Winer's World newsletter. Uh, I think it's fair to say that you're better connected than most and have an inside track to many boardrooms and CEOs. Tell our viewers a little bit about what is happening and what you think you will see when we return to work post-coronavirus.
1: Well, there is a, a lot of stress and unhappiness and confusion as to what's happening around the world, and it depends where you are. Uh, for example, Germany's recovery, we're not too sure how it's going to go, but it has been affected as it has been Italy, and of course, you are in the UK with the lockdown. But in the US, which is probably still the leading economy in the world, we've had a severe recession in progress now due to the lockdowns and the social distancing required. And the government has stepped up to the plate to try to help, Uh, and it will continue to be bad, in my opinion, during the next one or two months before we see the curve flatten and everyone try to reopen the business at different stages. Now, in our industry, the electronics industry, a number of things have happened. First of all, component and other supplies were cut off from China, which was a major source not only of medical rod ingredients, but also critical components, circuit boards, and other items needed for electronic manufacturing. Then when things began to flow, they flowed only through airports or air flights through Hong Kong as the air industry shut down and reduced flights, causing freight rates to escalate 10 or 20 times normal, and whereas we a shipment of $4,000 could have been made last year, this year, some of those were forty and $50,000, causing wow. s- some companies, uh, such as Hitachi Chemicals and others, to raise prices substantially on materials flown into their com- customers. Also, nice. at the same time, we had a fire in a major supplier of dry film photoresist in China, with a supplier to a major local company, uh, there, which put stress on the domestic industry. Fortunately, Eternal Chemical there stepped up to the plate. And as we watched that, Hitachi Chemical, which makes also a drive from photoresist, sold out to another Japanese company, which closed last week. Mm-hmm. Then coming on into the states, the government has declared a number of companies, essential Central Industries and many of our factories, uh, immediately rushed to convert to produce printed circuit boards to make ventilators, which worked well as 11 major other companies uh, did this. I was surprised that the government didn't have a list of VMS companies, that's the contract manufacturers, capable of doing this to step up to the plate more quickly. Then, as we saw essential industries step up, another thing happened. The government increased the amount of pay to those that lost the job though didn't go to work. And that is the uh, uh, welfare type of pay, to the point of which a number of workers found that they got more pay staying home and going into work. So as companies took single shifts, divided them with separation into three or four shifts, and went with adequate spacing and cleaning, they found that a lot of their workers didn't want to come to work. At the same time, we see uh, increases, and we don't know why, in the purchase of major capital equipment, whether it be uh, vacuum uh, mach- uh, vacuum reflow ovens. Uh, we hear of record sales from Heller. Whether it be sawdust tile, America is booming, uh, and this, this, is is big, this is all for
0: critical equipment. This all for for. I'm guessing it uh, would be uh, our, med- our
1: medical uh, uh Yeah, yeah and yes, and the, and the vacuum reflow ovens, of course, provide uh, a great edge where you have to do uh, small parts with very fine solder paste and you want to eliminate bubbles in, in the assembly. And uh, this has been to the benefit of uh, uh, Heller and others that produce ma- uh, vacuum metallizing equipment. Uh, additionally, we see a shift in components uh, in manufacturing from mainland China uh, back to Taiwan and other places. Vietnam is loaded, of course, with business, but they've had a, a problem with the co- uh, COVID-19 also. So right. there's so much going on. We found that we needed a sane voice, a single voice. And it's interesting, the IPC under the leadership of Dr. John Mitchell really stepped up to the plate. and it, <clears throat> excuse me, initiated a weekly executive call around the globe to key manufacturers, suppliers, assemblers, and OEMs uh, attended by 70 to 100 companies every week.
0: John's actually going to be joining us on a, a panel discussion uh, here on, on May 5th, so it'll be uh, interesting to hear what he says well,
1: it's a wonder, the, the, the program usually starts out with an introduction by Dr. Mitchell, followed mm-hmm. by a report from the chief economist, followed by the vice president of government relations in Washington as to what's going on. Then there's a report on uh, industry production of various things, air freight shipments, and other economic uh, items of importance in production. and production. Then it opens up for questions and sharing of information between the executives on board as to what the certain laws mean, how are other people handling it? How are you handling the distancing, the cleaning of equipment? Uh, where do you go for certain supplies? Will you share equipment? Companies have actually shared production capabilities between themselves for uh, certain things needed to produce parts for ventilators and others. And so right. I, I think the IPC has really risen to the to its heights on all fronts to benefit our entire, not just the printed circuit assembly fabrication industry, but the entire electronics industry globally.
0: Yeah, that's just really good to hear. I mean, the really worrying thing um, about what you're saying was, of course, also the the air freight situation, uh, because I don't see that really recovering that quickly. Uh, I've seen some recent surveys going out asking people whether they're going to be Happy uh, to jump on a plane anytime within the next six months to go to, for example, a trade show or a conference. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a protracted problem.
1: Um, well, I'm, I'm on the board of a, of a number of organizations, and we have canceled everything right through September and possibly October. Um, mm-hmm. I'm chairing a, an emerging managers meeting for the IPC in San Diego January 25th, 2021. Mm-hmm. And hopefully things will be back to normal by then, but you never know. If you look at the schedules around the world from SEMI to IPC to the EIPC to uh, VDMA, we find meetings canceling almost on a daily basis or being rescheduled, hopefully being rescheduled far enough ahead. Right. My personal belief is that the, the travel part will start to recover fairly well by September, unless there's a resurgence. I don't think it's going to happen in May or June, no matter what people say. And people aren't going to just scale up because a lot of orders and production has been canceled. Inventories have backlogged on items that would normally be consumed. Critically needed things such as rare earth metals from China may or may not be available if China decides to get tough with the rest of the world. So there's a lot of uncertainty going ahead. London. Well, this is, absolutely, this is
0: another s- significant point, Gene, and that is that the risk is all in the one place. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, China has controls or has access to 95% of the world's rare earth metals. They manufacture 85% of the world's PCBs uh, and a number of other uh, components. Is it is it good to have all, all that risk in the one place? Shouldn't uh, governments be looking to try and diversify that risk at least at least regionally.
1: Uh, I, there are governments that can do it with that person form a government over here and I don't know how it is with you and Boris Johnson over there or mm. Angela in Germany but the problem was caused by major corporations trying to save a dollar on labor on, and get cheap labor by going to China. Right. China costs, and the economy rose to become, at one point before the pandemic, the second largest economy in the world. And as such, Shanghai became one of the more expensive cities in the world, as did Hong Kong, to live in. And then China saw the light and began to put in robotics. So the low-cost labor went to Vietnam and Indonesia. And of course, yeah. it's in India, which does not yet have an infra- infrastructure to support major industry, but has a large market. Us, we see, for example, well, that had that,
0: that all started to move, though, b- before the, the coronavirus, to be fair. I mean, it actually started uh, during the, the U.S.-China trade war. Uh, uh, people uh, so, saw this, see that as becoming uh, probably
1: an ongoing situation between both these countries uh, over the next decade. Well, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, as part of the World Trade Organization, China was classed as a uh, an emerging company of not quite an up-to-date industrialist, even when it's economy was second largest in the world. Right. Uh, secondly, the, uh, the duties, agreements, and bans were one way, as they were in many countries for many years, and the U.S. was losing hundreds of billions of dollars a year in trade, primarily right. to China. Right. And it had to stop, or, you know, the piggy bank gets empty, and then what do you do? Yeah. So it, it had gone too far, and then it, it rebounded too quickly, I think, in the other direction instead mm. of something else. And then the pandemic accelerated it or enhanced the issue.
0: Right, right. But I, I do think it is going to reset uh, a little bit uh, uh, you know, um, further than over the next couple of
1: years. I really do think it's going to take uh, the next decade to really work out. So. A lot of oh, I, don't, I don't think it'll take a decade. I think that our industry, as well as the general economy, will be rip-roaring along sometime in 2021. I think it could surpass where we are. Where oh, no, doing. no, no, sorry. I'm not,
0: uh, I'm not saying that the economy is going to take that long for the economy to recover. I'm saying it's going to be an ongoing uh, situation between the U.S. and China to, to, to sort out their trade relationship is what I'm getting at. Um, something- uh,
1: it, it took decades to get there. It's not going to unwind in five years or less. Right. Exactly. It will take a little time. I absolutely agree with you. But the initial steps have been taken. Some progress was made with the first part of the agreement in the sale of farm goods to China from the U.S. in exchange for other releases. The uh, A number of the existing duties have been put on hold uh, during the pandemic. Uh, that's a good sign that... Uh, the U.S. is willing to let up in times of crisis, it had to, and uh, we'll see what will happen with the November election. That scares right. me. Right.
0: Right. Well, and so uh, one other question I've got for you just before I let you go, and that is obviously coming out the other side of this. Um, the, you know, China's now back up and running, but the demand side has died over in the West. Uh, and that's not going to come back that quickly on consumer goods. Uh, I think a lot of people have felt pain during this uh, lockdown period and, uh, you know, some people have lost their jobs and a lot of um, job losses in, in, in the United States. Um, and that all feeds into the, the consumer goods. So that side of the industry is going to take quite a while to to recover.
1: Yes, it will, but there are a couple of other things to bear in mind. For example, major US corporations, uh, uh, such as analog devices, were really hurt when Huawei was shut down by the US government. We couldn't sell certain things to them. And a number of major US companies had Huawei and other Chinese as customers. People don't realize that. And on the other hand, China has a huge pent up consumer market with a strong nationalist feeling whether people will buy Chinese labels made in China more than anything else because of their, their patriotism and their government urging. Remember the information they get is limited. They don't see everything that we see in the Western world. Mm -hmm. So I agree that uh, China's export business has suffered and will suffer a bit. It's domestic consumer demand will increase the uS. and the Western world will suffer because there won't be so much in the way of cheap, I' say cheap uh, goods from China for consumer electronics, mm-hmm. and things will have to change. But of course, when we look at the factory 4.0, the factory of not the future but tomorrow, uh, we'll see many of the so-called high labor cost items. Uh, be reduced to uh, more overhead, fixed goods, and automation. Uh, we uh, work with the digital twin concept uh, factories yeah. to see, to match how something was made in one place and try and match it in another, and see yeah. what the difference would be if a machine changed, or its auto pace change, or a comp corner change. So mm-hmm. we're in for a major revolution and change. Uh, accelerating in the next five years, I think, Absolutely. in our industry, which creates great opportunities for people in our business.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, Gene, we've just touched on literally a, a few a few of the many uh, problems that are affecting our industry right at the moment, and there are more to talk about. Um, so we'll need to have you back on sometime again soon because uh, there's not enough time to cover everything in this little segment. Um, so for now, I, I want to thank you for joining us today and uh, I look forward to to catching up with you
1: soon. Stay safe. Well, thank you, Trevor, and I look forward to seeing you face-to-face in person in January at the IPC Apex Expo 2021 in San Absolutely. Diego. Absolutely, have, yeah. Have a great, great day. Thank Thanks. you. Okay.
2: Bye. For micro-dispensing, there is one product line that is proven and trusted by manufacturers in semiconductor packaging, electronics assembly, Medical device, and electromechanical assembly the world over. DL Technology, superior pumps and needles for the finer things in life.
0: So my next guests today are uh, Craig Lax and Aubrey Thompson from Septillion. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Mm. So Septillion's a really interesting name. I mean, uh, where does it come from? Does it mean a trillion, trillion, or, or what does it actually mean, Aubrey?
3: A uh, septillion is a, a, a mathematical number. Um, a, a billion is 1 by 10 to the 6. Uh, a billion 1 by 10 to the 9. Trillion, quadrillion, and all the way up to a septillion. So a septillion is a 1 by 10 to the 24. So a big number. And the uh, origin of the name comes from when Craig was in the early days of the development of the fiber code. He asked uh, uh, a university department of mathematics to calculate the uniqueness of a fibre code. And they calculated it exactly at 7.8 by 10 to the 24, so eight septillions. And uh, we stuck uh, by the name Septillion uh, as a way of representing that. So that's where the name comes from.
0: Yeah. We certainly got a ring to it. You
3: know. So the last
0: time we spoke, uh, Apex 2019, of course, uh, you were we were looking at introducing a new technology which comprised some unique fibres that you would put into... Uh, devices, components, or packaging uh, that would be able to follow that product throughout the supply chain to essentially reduce to, or eliminate the instances of uh, counterfeit in the industry.
3: Yes, what we were looking to do is um, uh, is leverage on on uh, the fact that paper and cardboard are, are used in packaging in uh, in the industry. And uh, the use of security uh, paper, which is used in passports and banknotes, uh, where you put little fibers into the, into the general ma- manufacture of the paper, and these glow under certain lights and can be seen by camera, uh, that produces a random distribution, uh, because they're part of the paper pulp, uh, these rayon uh, fibers. And a clever man, Craig, um, came up with an algorithm that when it looks at that distribution, comes up with a number. So in a 20-pound node, for example, if you're looking at a 20-pound node, um, uh, you look at the distribution of those fibers, it'll come up with a number. A different 20-pound note will come up with a different number. So what we, in effect, have done is give that 20-pound node a digital identity, but a digital identity that it generates, not the camera, OK? So, so if you put
0: a, a unique digital um, identity on, onto uh, each piece of packaging, doesn't the packaging itself need to be secure as, as well,
2: Craig? Yes, um, it's um, essentially, you know, you, you can put it on labels, you can put it in the packaging, um, but you, you can use tamper-proof labels, that, but, they, you know, they can be counterfeited. So this is a, a, a sort of multi-stage way of, of verification uh, of assets. So if the, if the tamper-proof label is, looks like it's been tampered with, you, you can just check the fiber code um, and, uh, and, and if the fiber code is not there or if it's, you know, it, it, won't, it won't verify. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it uh, technically doesn't need to be tamper-proof, but it's a, it's a nice way to um, or, or an effective way to, to, to authenticate assets through a supply chain in a non-destructive way.
0: Right, right, okay. So, Aubrey, you've had quite a lot of um, interest in this this idea. Um, in fact, some, from some very big players, I believe you've had a recent uh, agreement with Boeing Corporation, and uh, you've been also talking to BSI, the British Standards Institute. Uh, tell us some of the things that have been happening. Uh,
3: in the early part of this year, um, we Boeing, uh, the Boeing Corporation, invested in the company. Um, and we, with the idea basically that we are going to deploy fiber code throughout uh, the the ecosystem. So at the moment, we are working with Boeing in looking at where we deploy fiber code in the aerospace business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a very cost-effective, very scalable technology because it's uh, you know involved in the packaging and the and the labeling of of, of systems. So um, it's. Uh, as a mathematical algorithm, um, uh, the enrollment of a fibre code only takes milliseconds, so it's also very adaptive to high volume manufacturing as well. Um, we've been slightly, um, uh, 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 what's the word, uh, pushed off course by COVID-19 as it arrived, and um, with the UK government we've been working with the aerospace companies on uh, some of the um, uh, reusing of, of production facilities. And uh, we're currently looking at how fibre could be in, uh, in tracking the provenance of um, components involved in the manufacture of, of instruments to combat COVID-19. So
2: Craig,
0: Craig um, the, once you get this uh, unique footprint into the packaging and it starts its journey on the supply chain, uh, how do you keep that secure? Uh, we were talking earlier about potentially using blockchain. Is that still the uh-huh. system that you, you're... Wanting to
2: use, so so we have uh, what we have is a uh, we call asset authentication as a service. Like we have a platform that um, that basically generates and verifies fiber codes. Uh, Those codes um, are, are basically can be integrated within any traceability system. Uh, or or ERP system or or anything that is is uh, tracking and tracing assets that can include blockchain platforms, provenance platforms um, for 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 tracking assets. Yeah. So, uh, but but our our technology is is the the physical uh, the physical fiber code and the the authentication platform.
4: Right. Right.
0: Well, it's certainly a, you know a very exciting um, technology, and uh, certainly for any high reliability application, whether it's military, aerospace, medical, or, or even automotive, uh, I would think that uh, they'd all be wanting to use this. Um, what are the next steps, Aubrey? What's coming up
3: next? Um, what's coming up next is to uh, we're on, on two two fronts, one working with Boeing on, on uh, these concepts within the aerospace business. And uh, Craig uh, with the IPC, um, you know, the rolling out of 7082 is to get these uh, these first systems in place so that we can demonstrate to the world uh, how 7082 is so effective because it's not only applicable to the electronics industry. But uh, uh, with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic at the moment, it's becoming evident that the principles and standards that, are behind, that lie behind 7082 are applicable to most industries, manufacturing industries. So, um, you know, we're already seeing the counterfeiters and the scam artists uh, in COVID-19 up and running. Mm-hmm. And what we have to do is make sure that the supply chains are secure and that what you and I get, for example, in test kits and things through our, through our letterbox, are government approved and are the original yeah right, and right. To do that in a very cost effective way
0: so you're going to get rid of all the fake masks and all the fake testing kits and and that type of thing
3: well, about, <laughs> uh, you know this these sort of products um, with a a, a 1782a um, type principle of secure supply chain is what's needed
0: yeah absolutely absolutely well it's exciting stuff i think what we're going to do is maybe next month uh, or in june we're going to look at perhaps taking a deeper dive into this technology. Uh, but for now, guys, I wanna thank you very much for joining us and, and bringing us up to speed.
3: Thank you. Okay,
0: okay coming up after the break, we're gonna be speaking with uh, Chantain from quote
3: Sponsored by Panasonic. Smart factory solutions for any mix, any volume. Introducing the new npmw W2S. The ideal placement solution for manufacturers who value reduced setup and change over time over volume.
0: My next guest today is Chintan Saturia from Calpipote. Nice to meet you, Chintan. Nice to meet you as well. Yeah. So um, you run a company that basically does an RFQ management system. Uh, Explain uh, very briefly uh, to our viewers how that works.
4: Yeah, so uh, uh started as an RFQ management system for electronics manufacturing services companies. What we do um, is handle the entire RFQ process, but what makes it a little bit unique compared to other solutions and things like that is we provide real time visibility into the supply chain for our customers. So they can upload a bill of material and see what um, Aero, Avnet, DigiKey, Mauser, TTI, all of those companies have in terms of pricing, availability, lead time, things like that. Uh, and then we've applied that type of capability also to the procurement process as well, so they can place instant orders based on that information.
0: Okay, so it's, it's information in, in real time. Um, you know, Given the way that we are in lockdown at the moment, and everybody's having to find different ways of working and uh, managing their business from home, does this type of process is that played in more to to uh, your business model? Are you finding an uptick in business?
4: Yeah, we actually had uh, we had uh, a record month in April so far. I mean, we've broken previous sales numbers for uh, our history. Um, I don't know if it's uh, I mean if it's a correlation or a causation type thing, but there's definitely a higher interest, uh, especially in products that we have that allow instant quoting. Right, so. Um, Typically, um, you know, for large orders and things like that, there's still the due diligence on the supply chain. Um, uh, But on instant quoting, which is prototypes, quick turns, that kind of stuff, there's definitely a higher demand. We're getting more and more customers leaning into that to say that's the capability we need to be able to um, be more responsive to our customers.
0: Right. Okay. So, I mean, given this sort of visibility, what sort of challenges are you seeing uh, coming into the supply chain at the moment?
4: Yeah, uh, so I'll say, speaking for what we're seeing from our EMS customers, um, the the biggest thing is, you know, most of them are small to mid-sized businesses, uh, and there's the uncertainty creates this decision paralysis, right? Where because you don't know what's coming up, it's we're not ready to make a decision on something that we had otherwise, you know, been ready to move on. Uh, so that's that's the first thing, and sometimes that's that's worse than making the wrong decision almost, right? Uh, so that's that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that um, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty around how you just weather something like this. It's new for a lot of companies, right? Having employees working remotely, a lot of people aren't comfortable with that. Uh, sometimes that comes with some inefficiencies where, you know, you're not ready to do remote communication as easily. They're not built for those kinds of things. And so uh, those are definitely the types of challenges that they're facing. And then in, in some areas, I know, um, you know EMS companies have shut down for a week or two while they figure out what the health and safety and things like that that they need to implement. So there's definitely that new level of challenge as well as how do you deal with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of challenges involved with that, but um, I mean, you just, as you said, you just had your your busiest month ever in in April. So, I mean, is this really translating into reduced um RFQ volume?
4: No, actually. So it's been it's been a figure we've been tracking um, very closely, um, you know, every single week by day. Um, We haven't seen a reduction yet in terms of the volume of RFQs that EMS companies are getting, and you know, this is across almost 150 uh, EMS companies in the US, um, where um, the the bombs that they're getting to quote from their customers hasn't reduced. Uh, I mean, there's a variety of explanations for that, um, and we don't have visibility into what that turns into in terms of sales figures, but that's I think a really positive sign, which is that at least for now, the business is still continuing, they are still staying busy, um, and, you know, uh, that's that's good for a lot of these businesses.
0: So it points to really the other end of this, it points to uh, the, the market returning fairly quickly.
4: Potentially, yeah, and, and again, like I said, we don't have visibility into whether they're winning those orders or if they're preparing to win those, but what I like about it is, you know, if I'm if I'm the end customer going to an EMS company asking for a quote, what I'm anticipating is that I've got my pricing, you know, I've got my budgetary things, so as soon as all this clears or as soon as the uncertainty Starts to phase out a little bit, then I'm prepared to uh, prepared to make that order. So um, I, I had seen this model about the COVID thing uh, recently, where it was, you know, there's there's three areas of concern. One is uh, how how far down is going to be the disruption. The second is how long is it going to last, and the third is what's that recovery look like. Uh, so you're right, where the recovery slope starts to look better if the RFQ volume stays high.
0: Right. Right. Well, wow. Yeah, I, I wish, you know, I don't think anybody's really got the answer to, to, to when this is going to end, but uh, it's, it's interesting to see that the RFQs are staying up. Now, you, you mentioned uh, at one time that uh, a digital transformation for, for companies is critical to being able to, to handle their business going forward. Can you explain what you mean by that?
4: Yeah, so, um, you know, if you look at how the EMS company has traditionally interacted with their supply chain, with their customers, it's been it's been a pretty analog process. And what I mean by that is a lot of emails going back and forth, spreadsheets exchanging hands, trying to source different parts, um, you know, making phone calls, things like that. Um, one of the things that we see as kind of the future of this whole supply chain and these types of disruptions and the remote working and all of that prove this out even further is there's going to be a higher reliance on systems-based communications. So what I mean by that is being able to have real-time information at your fingertips will differentiate you from your competitors. Because if you can go to uh, one of your suppliers and say, you know, do you, uh, do you have the ability to deliver on this product? And if they can reply back to you in an instant, one, it proves that they've got efficient processes, which probably makes them more price competitive, but two, it also makes them more responsive in times like this where, Hey, I'm ready to kick things into gear now and let's get things started rather than having to now wait for two weeks for them to respond and do their own research and things like that.
0: Interesting. Uh, I think my final question is that you know, when we do eventually uh, start to return business and state, start to open up and manufacturing comes back, uh, do you see that it's going to be the operators that will come back into the factory first and maybe the back office staff who do the, the coating will probably um, still, the element of them, will still be home-based?
4: Yeah, it's um, you know I'll say a lot of EMS companies are definitely, especially when all of this started, were very uncomfortable with the remote work culture and things like that, right? It's things that software companies have done for a long time, but manufacturing companies weren't as um, weren't as aligned to that. Um, they're they're starting to become more comfortable with it, right? Because of necessity uh, creates change. Um, I I don't know if it'll be like permanent remote things, but we do have customers that even before all of this COVID stuff, they did have people that were, you know, working from home doing quotes or something like that. So that's definitely a possibility. Um, What I see is it won't be um, an across the board change, but it'll definitely be uh, more in that line than it was before, right? So um, where before everybody had to come into the office every day at a fixed time and leave at a fixed time, now it might be you know, two days a week you work from home or something like that to allow that flexibility and potentially attract more uh, more employees, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's definitely interesting because also as companies start to um it, you know expand their the shifts so that they have less people in the factory at one time, um then they might have to also try and stagger the 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 people that are available to do the quoting that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, we're starting to live in interesting times, <laughs> Shantan. Shantan. Yes. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today and uh, wish you every success with, uh, with Corp. Thank you, Trevor. It was good talking to you. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to join us on Tuesday for the first of a series of panel discussions. Next week's topic is coronavirus and supply chain disruptions. And my guests will be John Mitchell from IPC, Ron Keith from SCRG, or in Mana from Siemens Mentor and Gene Weiner from Weiner International. Until then, thanks for watching and stay safe.
4: It's getting harder to stand out from the crowd. Get the recognition your new product deserves at the Global Technology Awards. There are lots of categories to choose from, and the companies are free to enter as many categories as they like. This year's award ceremony will be held at SMTA International, or if it's canceled or postponed, then it will be held online. Come and join us in toasting the cream of the crop in Chicago or in the comfort of your own home.